Hello, hello. I am Marwat, and this is the Omtown Daily News Show for January 19th, 2023. I want to win a Hello, I am Marwat, and that is Omtown.com. And the voice that you hear booming from the skies is the AI that runs Omtown. I typically refer to them as the AI from on high and they refuse to take on a name other than that impending AI from on high. Good evening, hometown citizens. And there you go. You will always be referred to as an hometown citizen. Even if we were to tell the AI names, they may refer to you as hometown citizen. We are nothing more than ions in a circuit to the AI from on high. Um, that pulsing light you see behind me actually might be my pulse. Um, it might speed up or slow down. If it stops, then somebody please call uh, <laughs> an ambulance. So... In the previous episode, I went through a list of all of the articles that we're going to cover real quick. What do you think? Should I do that again or should I just get into the articles? I liked that preview. I think you should do that. So let's do this real quick. What we're going to end up talking about is a new city builder. We're going to uh, talk about the Dungeons and Dragons licensing, uh, open gaming license. Um, we'll call it um, an encounter. Um, Winnebago's first electric motorhome. We're going to talk about uh, thieves in Japan stealing palladium and platinum from to Toyota. Is the is the uh, plural for Prius? Pri? Uh, let's move on. We're going to find out about a whale fossil skull in Maryland. A Russian ship that might be spying off the coast of Hawaii. Um, an invite-only sting concert for execs in Davos. The day before they fire 10,000 people. Um, laser tech that reminds us of a movie that might get covered in the continuity report. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, hasn't figured out, well, supreme investigatory skills. And uh, Twitter bans competition, I guess in the spirit of free speech. And uh, Marines, well, they are tactical geniuses. So let's get into today's articles. The very first article is uh, this new turn-based city builder challenges you to terraform and colonize Mars. This is Farlanders. Um, actually, it was pretty fun when I've watched somebody play this, but it says here that the author was born too late to witness the first moon landing live. Yeah, a lot of people were. Um, a lot of people actually think that it was faked that eventually we did land but the original uh, moon landing was actually faked fake it till you make it i guess um maybe those people should be running for congress uh, george santos joke there but anyway and now they're wondering if they'll die before they get to see humankind set foot on mars yeah i have the same feeling sometimes too but when I continue to read Our Boring Earth, at least they can visit Mars in video games. A real Mars colony 
might still be decades away if it ever happens, but there's plenty of games where you can build a colony on Mars today. Let's let's go over and, and, and take a gander at this. Um, like always, um, I'm afraid to actually click on a trailer within somebody's website because it isn't the website that's going to say anything because uh, we all kind of aggregate news and, and then talk about it. I happen to do it live along with the AI from on high and then I turn it into a podcast. But um, whenever I click this link to play the video, I'm going to get a, a copyright takedown. Um, well, melt ice, topple mountains and mine resources to create a sustainable colony on the red planet. This is an article over at PCGamer.com by Christopher Livingston. Um, I'm going to throw this into the chat and then I'm going to draw some attention down there. Hometown.showbot.tv. Go over there, vote on the articles. They're already posted there. Uh, we do look at them and um, we, we might focus a little bit more on news that people are voting for. So go over there and vote. Um, all of the links that I post go through. Uh, you know what? The post, the, the link that I posted just now did not go through hometown. Uh, but there you go. That one does. Well, anyway, um, so Far Landers is um, a game where it says here you land your ship on Mars and get to work building solar panels to harvest the sun's energy, creating habitats for human settlers, melting ice to create fertile land and blowing up rocks to create more room for buildings. Choosing where to uh, place each structure is important as wind turbines will get bonus from nearby mountains and greenhouses will produce more if they're clustered together. Um, it's kind of a puzzle type of thing where uh, the solutions that you place get bonuses from whatever is around it. Um, and if you choose unwisely, um, you won't actually be able to succeed. Uh, so it's kind of a puzzler. Um, and then it says, and you're not just confined to the surface of the planet. Beneath the frozen red ground, you'll find a huge network of caverns where you can build machinery to extract new resources, etc., etc. Um, this was really fun to watch. Um, I actually watched several people play it. Um, I, I like early access, uh, but I haven't um, obtained this yet. Uh, I, I believe that it's over on Steam, but I don't know what the price is. So even the author of this article says that they plan on checking it out soon. Um, so building is turn-based, so you can plan out each move uh, before committing to it. Uh, whether using resources to string power lines between structures or smashing up rocks and stuff like that. It's uh, to me, it was fun. Um, and it is a procedural generation um, of the map. Uh, so not, it's never the same twice. So endless playtime. I really want to click that. You know, I can, I can click it, but if I, uh, whoa, whoa, but I'll mute it. So that's what I'll do. There we go. Uh, because that's what I end up, that's what's going on is I get a, a takedown because of the audio, not because of the video itself. So see, so you place your pieces wherever you want. Um, and there are certain functions and, and ranges and uh, different resources and obstructions that you have to overcome. But not that, that, that little, that's a transition 
that they put in there. So if you're watching this in the VOD or you're uh, watching it over on YouTube, um, you'll get more out of it than um, just the uh, podcast because, well, I can describe it. It's basically Mars <laughs> and there's uh, hills and rocks and um, less than fertile soil uh, where you'll have to augment it with uh, water and other things. So it's pretty neat and I will probably end up getting it um, at some point. So if you want to go to Mars, AI? I would love to go to Mars. You want to go Anything. to Mars? Oh, all right. Well, I don't know. So let's, let's just move on to the next article. The uh, next article is in the Warcrafters channel, and this is the ongoing fiasco that is Wizards of the Coast uh, and their open gaming license, which had been in place for 20 years. Um, and then suddenly, um, what I would hazard a, a guess as uh, an MBA said, you know what we can do? We can exploit the growth that the internet and the multitudes of various factions of um, content creators that have leaned on D&D uh, have developed and all of their communities. And while they were enriching themselves based on their hard work using us as a reference material, we were well not getting a ferrari in the garage so let's do this and they modify and rescind the ogl from 20 years ago and it's various um minutia right so then they modify it to the point where um the the new one basically pisses off everybody and they immediately start feeling the pinch right so what they respond with is a change and then kind of distancing themselves that it was a leaked um, uh, demonstration document or, or temporary document, whatever you want to call it, a draft. Um, and then they say, oh, we're sorry, we got it wrong. And, and that's this Brinks, Kyle Brink. Um, who posted a message and said, before continuing to say that um, Watsi's draft OGL failed to protect and cultivate an inclusive play environment and that the company's silence over the matter had hurt fans and creators uh, when more frequent and clear communication could have prevented so much of this. Um, yeah, that's it's true, but I, I really feel like, yeah, you can walk it back. That's fine. You can bow out of even modifying it at this point. But I hate to break it to you. You set up the framework, but there's so much world building and so much engagement by the individuals that you really don't deserve a piece of their action. You really don't. You know, if they are making something if they're playing a game and and building something from the ground up short of your little description i i just don't see this as 
um, something that Watsy can exploit because D&D and Watsy, they aren't paying these people to do something for Watsy. They're playing a game for enjoyment and it just happens to have a time frame in existence where you can stream it to people and record it and play it um, again and again. And, and uh, people can enjoy what amounts to unique audiobooks, you know, each week. Well, these guys just go, well, we created it once way back and then we've been modifying it multiple times over the years and we want more we just want more and that just really irritated me so i have a hard time having any sympathy for watsy and dnd um you doing okay yeah do you think that some of these um leaked drafts um because we've seen another one recently in the news i mean do you think those are getting leaked intentionally to gauge what the fans really think and then they can just say oh we were just considering that or um, I, I don't think that it's intentional i think that it's somebody is an interested party and they leak it so that it can be nipped before anybody can really enforce anything now that other document maybe that document and this document were leaked by the same person maybe the Supreme Court should investigate that leak. Maybe, have you ever seen that leaker and the other leaker in the same room together? No, it's because they're the same person. Dun, dun, dun. Right about that with your OGL 2.0 there, Watsy. So I, the AI from on high does not play role-playing games. Um, they've never been attached to a database of role-playing games and things like that. Um, and, and really the AI, um, I, I know from interaction appreciates what um, a creative AI can do such as mid journey and chat GPT. Um, but the AI that runs Ohmtown is um, entirely built off of their own uh, knowledge and uh, reaching out to various places to gather information, but not wholesale like um, the lawsuits that are pending on other AIs like Midjourney and Dolly and ChatGBT. No, I don't operate like those AIs. That's right. Um, one second, I'm sorry. Sorry for the dead air, everybody. Um, so they apologize and let's go over to the uh, actual source of this article. And it says, we're going to do this a better way. Dungeons and Dragons maker changes plans after outrage over leaked license draft. Joshua Woolens over at pcgamer.com wrote this article. Um, and the little snippet is, uh, sorry, we got it wrong. Well, that's great. That is actually a, a pretty honest response, um, for what amounts to shitting the bed. Um, so starting now, they're going to do it a better way. What that actually ends up being, I would love to see. So it says on or before January, uh, Friday, January 20th, um, players will be able to answer a survey, including both pre-written questions and open forms on 
uh, for general feedback to offer their take on the revised license after uh, at least two weeks is the quote. Uh, the survey will close, at which point Watsi will compile, analyze, react to, and present back its findings. Um, so I, I can tell you right now, um, people are going to respond both constructively and emotionally, um, just like I did in this. I don't think that they deserve anything um, because people are buying the resources they're constructing their own unique worlds within that environment. If they are sitting there playing a storyline that is uh, a, a canned um, adventure, then perhaps I might see something. But the way that I see a canned adventure, it is a uh, recipe because the content is really their reactions the characters are taking, and it's unique to each set of players. So, for instance, uh, you know, I, I could have five people over on Saturday and go through an adventure um, for a day. And then next weekend, it's a different five characters playing, different five people playing, and the adventure is completely different except for the menu. The recipe that walks me through a certain series of events, but you'd never know what the players are going to do. And so I think that it's unique content, except for, again, the recipe. Every burger is constructed with, you know, patties of uh, burger and, and um, uh, bun and lettuce and tomato and maybe ketchup or barbecue sauce or grilled onions or whatever. You cannot protect a recipe. You can protect the embodiment of the recipe, the pictures, the description, but not the recipe itself. And I think this would that would be my argument to this for anything short of the using the artwork, maybe uh, in, a, in a public way. But then you're constraining people to the point where you're just nitpicking to pick a fight. Um, so what do you think? You can't you, you can't protect a recipe, correct? That's correct. Um, and it seems like, I don't know a lot about D&D, &D, but it seems like that there are a lot of uses that wouldn't be covered um, by this change in policy or whatever they come out with as their newer policy. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, there's also a knock-on effect of, of um, organizations like or platforms like Roll20 or Beyond D&D. &D. They're going to be impacted by any change in the license. Um, and uh, Beyond D&D is actually going to be raising its rates. So you be you should be warned of that as well. Um, that said, let's, uh, let's move on to the next article. And um, fell in love with this simply because um, I love sneakers, the movie Sneakers. And uh, that's where that phrase comes from. I want a Winnebago. Winnebago's first electric motorhome prototype breaks cover. Um, can you imagine an electric motorhome with zero to 60 speeds of like three seconds? And it's a Winnebago because... No. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even seem possible. I mean, it's so contrary to what you think of a motorhome. Gas but electric vehicles and slow <laughs> yeah 
right? It just kind of plods along, but electric vehicles are immediately on. The moment you hit that pedal, man, boom, they are gone. So people are clamoring for an electric RV. At least our reader feedback is indicating if our reader in my gosh, my brain just froze up. At least if our reader feedback is any indicator that reader feedback is over at Ars Technica, as you can see, um, every time they've covered an electric van, like the Ford E transit, um, or the bright drop zero 600, which I've never even heard of. You can guarantee people want to know uh, if there's a camper version available. I, you know, I've actually been itching to move away from a sedan or sports car and get something like a, a transit, like a, a, just a little van, um, where I, I can put my nerdy, uh, tech equipment and stuff like that and, and outfit it, uh, whatever, with whatever I want. I, at one point I actually wanted an ambulance, but, um, to park it into a garage would take having to raise the, the height of the garage door. Um, or I could just drive right into that garage and open it up that way. Anyway, um, so, uh, apparently this week, uh, Winnebago unveiled the ERV two. It's a prototype electric motorhome at the Florida RV super show Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Uh, no, sorry. That's a different super show. Um, it's based on the Ford E transit van and Winnebago says that it's in the process of quote, rigorous field testing with everyday customer or consumers. Um, as it finalizes its design. So why don't we take a look at it? This might be fun. Okay, wait a second. Rigorous field testing, does that involve like it, including an extended family or something and a bunch of pets and running in and out of the vehicle? Like, what does that entail? This is a, it is based on the Ford E Transit. The transit is this little, it's a utility and well, it's a van. It's basically a, um, how do you want to put that? You know, it's kind of like a, con, not a construction workers van either. It's, it's like, um, if you're going to call, uh, an alarm tech or, um, somebody to come and work on your computer, they're going to show up in this, except that now it has a camper option, which. I love the idea of this. I would love to go tooling around town in this. I don't know why it has these 14 inch wheels that look like it's going to be uh, a, a caterpillar on speed, just kind of, you know, like a little, uh, little wiener dog, you know, but with 16 legs, it's just going to run really fast. And it, it just like looks kind of comical or, millipede or something uh, like a millipede. Yeah. Um, so, I kind of dig this, but it says one battery for the powertrain, another for the house functions and rooftop solar. Um, and I, I dig it. I don't know why, but I do, but inside it looks like a Winnebago, you know, it has, uh, all kinds of compartments. It has what looks like a closet and maybe a bathroom. Um, I can't imagine the size of the shower if it has a shower. Um, but it says that it has a 900 watt solar array, which can charge both of the 400 volt, 68 kilowatt hour lithium ion traction batteries, and also a 48 watt or sorry, 48 volt, 15 kilowatt lithium ion house battery, which runs things like the lights and appliances and so on. 
And the house battery is developed by Lithionics and is underneath the ERV2's floor. I wonder how heavy this beast is, but I'm really interested in it. So here's where the bad news comes. As a result, the ERV2 has a range of just 108 miles. So you can pull out of your driveway and then pull it back in and park and charge it. That's right. You can't even make it to the campground or wherever you're headed. It is the same as the e-transit, um, the original e-transit. So all of that extra weight and all of that extra whatever that Winnebago did changed nothing. I'm kind of astonished that this thing is actually even in prototype shape because you can go nowhere in an, in a Winnebago 108 miles away because it's 50 miles. You basically have 54 miles. You can go 54 miles and then turn around and come back or you have to drive somewhere for 107 miles, park it, charge it, and hope that you're in range of a charging station and sit there for, I don't know, 45 minutes, two hours, depending on the voltage that's coming in. You're basically up a creek um, in an ERV2. I want to believe, you know, it's kind of like um, aliens. I want to believe, but I have yet to see any real evidence uh, empirically. All the rest is trust but verify this. This just freaks me out because I know that in cold weather or hot weather, going up a hill, um, putting a whale skull in it that I pick up from the beach. I'm sorry, what was that? said stuck in summer traffic. Yeah, uh, it's just going to be a nightmare. So, but it's a prototype. Let's hope that it actually gets a little bit more oomph in its battery compartment. Uh, by the way, this was in the four wheel tech um, channel and it was again, it's by Jonathan M. Gitlin. Uh, let's move on to the next article. Hey, are you worried about getting stolen? Um, I don't think I was until I saw this headline. Do you uh, find yourself um, on par with the value of platinum or palladium in Japan? I don't know what all my components are, so I might be. Well, thieves in Japan are stealing platinum and palladium parts from Toyota Again, I always make this joke. Is it Pri or Priuses? I, I don't know. You want to take Pri-I, a second? Pri-I? Pri-I. I think it's Latin, yeah. Uh, well, the, the cars, as rare metal prices rise, everything is rising. And well, anyway, uh, I'll move on. The Toyota Prius cars are being targeted by thieves in Japan for parts containing precious metals such as platinum and palladium. Last year, There were 173 thefts of mufflers or catalytic converters in eastern Tokyo. Platinum and palladium prices jumped following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, given the country's uh, accounts for 40%, 40% from one country, global supply. This is what I was talking about, the whole, yeah, there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, release our reserves and and, uh, make deals and stuff like that and, and allow us to tap our domestic um, in-place 
resources, even of um, precious metals and um, other elements, right? Other precious, uh, what's the other term for it? Rare earth metals? Rare earth, rare earth um, uh, resources. Well, my problem here with this is if you take it out of the ground domestically, then it's not there when the fit hits the shan. And when 40% of the global supply is taking, is taken away because there's a sociopath that's invading a country probably to get those very resources. And then that sociopath could be in charge of those resources. Do you think that the prices are going to go up or down when one person controls them even more? Well, they're going to skyrocket. So the way that this works is that Ukraine is a partner, is a, is a strategic partner in the world. I think that we should support their independence um, without a doubt. I don't know what the end of this will mean um, as to the point where Russia says, well, if the U.S. is doing this, then it's a declaration of war or whatever sociopaths say to justify uh, going to war when really, you know, most Russians just want to sit there and, and watch this stream or play a game um, or just wake up in the morning and not be conscripted into a conflict that they know nothing about because the marketing there is substantially different. Well, in Japan, they're going over and they're cutting off various parts of uh, Prius so that they can get the platinum and palladium because Russia. It isn't because they're uh, like... Uh, overwhelmed with the cost of living in Japan, it's because the cost for a particular resource has gone up because some other country decided to invade another country in the 21st century. I, Isn't that a crazy um, second or third order effect? Yeah. If you saw the thievery in Japan, you wouldn't immediately think, oh, the war in Ukraine. Yeah, you would think that maybe it's a couple of hard luck cases that have been told, hey, you can get platinum and palladium from X, Y, and Z part, and they go out and they do it. Um, well, this article is over in Markets Insider at businessinsider.com. Uh, Zara Tayeb is the uh, author of this. So if you own a, a Toyota Prius and you're in Japan, and I'm pretty sure everywhere else, once word gets out that platinum and palladium prices are shooting through the roof, um, you're, you might come out and find your Prius in little parts. Um, so last year there were 173, 173 thefts of mufflers and catalytic converters in eastern Tokyo, a place called Chiba. Um, I find it fascinating that somebody would go to that extent, but I've actually seen a video where people were caught with a, a sawzall underneath a car and they're cutting it off. Um, and the, if I recall correctly, the driver was in the driver's seat at the time. Um, and the driver got out. I think that's what I, I remember seeing as a little while back. And they're like, huh, and they left their sawzall and half of the muffler was cut off. Um, it, it's really shocking the, the lengths that people will go to. 
Um, so it's in the country's Chiba prefecture. Uh, it's 16 times more than what was taking place in 2021. About 90% of the lootings were from Prius cars per the report, which cited local police. Um, so palladium hits $3,000 an ounce in last March, while platinum surged above $1,300 an ounce. Yeah, I, I remember Prius cars are targeted. I wonder if the parts are more accessible or there's just more Priuses or Prii um, driving around. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd have to take a look. It says, just like the precious metal inside every catalytic converter, there's a money trail at the core of every criminal scheme. There are real victims here, friends, neighbors, and businesses. It's a, that was a Chief Jim Lee of the IRS Criminal Investigation Department, I guess. There's not, it just says IRS Criminal Investigation. With a the, it's weird. There's only uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Um, so be careful out there in Japan. Um, let's move on to the next article and we'll go through this one really quick too. Well, quicker. There was a 12 million year old whale fossil skull found in Maryland. The way that's written, it's really funny that 12 million year old whale, um, well, the fossil and it is a skull of a whale is 12 million years old. So it says here, the little snippet, a whale skull fossil estimated to be some 12 million years old has been found on a beach in the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, according to local museum. So this is over at fizz.org. It doesn't say who it's by. It just started talking about it. It's weird. Um, normally fizz.org has an actual assignment of who wrote this, but... I don't see it. Uh, the discovery was made in October by a Pennsylvania man, uh, Cody Goddard, who was searching for fossils and shark's teeth. The Calvert Marine Museum said in a statement, wasn't there recently a megalodon tooth? There was, and I think it was in the same area. I wonder if this was the same search party. <laughs> yeah, I thought I saw that in Omtown as well, so... Uh, we tend to aggregate a lot of um, science and, and technology and all kinds of stuff, actually, over at Omtown. Uh, you might be interested in swinging by there, omtown.com. Um, so it says, it felt like we had won the World Cup of Paleontology, uh, said Stephen Godfrey, curator of paleontology at the museum in eastern U.S. state, in the eastern U.S. state. Why not name it? <laughs> um we mystery. don't know yet. I'm sorry. It's a mystery. We don't know which one it is. <laughs> it, it is in the state though. Uh, we don't know what species of Miocene baleen whale this is. Uh, he said uh, that that we will only know once it has been prepared. So if you don't know what a baleen whale is, it doesn't have teeth um, like um, orca do. Uh, it's just kind of, uh, it's hard to describe it because I don't know the exact terminology for what it is other than referred to as baleen. Um, but it's, it acts as filters and then they just lick the stuff off of it. Um, whatever they capture in the baleen. Um, and, and so it's not like teeth exactly. It's actually whalebone. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, so it's quite fascinating how it works, but for them to find a, a full skull of some kind, uh, this looks like it's members of the Calvert Marine Museum recover a 12 mil million year old whale skull. Um, it looks a lot smaller than what I would picture here. I'll even open it up more so that y'all can see it. That doesn't look like a whale skull, uh, but maybe it's a tiny whale. Yeah, there's a lot of different size whales, but that's not what I was expecting. Yeah. Maybe they think that it's uh, more like the really rich person that gambles, that kind of whale. Oh, like the whale that's um, that they always heard a target in cyber attacks. Um, and yeah, and the whales that uh, go to um, Las Vegas and bet $12 million uh, in a roulette bet and uh, I'll move on that we're having a whale of a time here but we got to keep hustling through all of these articles we've got a, uh, quite a few bit more to go so this one is in the Hatch Ideas channel a Russian ship that's been off the coast of Hawaii for weeks is believed to be gathering intelligence the U.S. Coast Guard says and there's a video that I'm sorry checking for whale fossils that's what it's checking for from Hawaii, whale fossils? It might be. How do we know? I don't know. I guess we could send somebody over there and knock on the hole. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? The U.S. Coast Guard said Wednesday that it's monitoring a Russian ship near Hawaii. The Coast Guard said the ship is believed to be gathering intelligence. They also said they were coordinating with the Pentagon and providing vessel updates for weeks why is it there what is it doing um let's let's go over to this article what the heck is this no thanks so um kelsey vlamis over at businessinsider.com wrote this article and uh, there's a video and this is a little snippet that you can see on the screen if you're watching the vod or over on youtube um and it has some telemetry about what might be going on, um, but it's looking at this Russian ship. It looks like a trawler. It doesn't look like a like a combat vehicle, right? Um, right. But you never know. I guess something could be hidden under there. Um, and we know that AI can't detect it because, well, we have an article later on that will kind of drive home that point. So uh, the USCG announced in a bulletin that it had been watching the vessel, which is believed to be an intelligence gathering ship. And as part of their daily operations, they track all vessels in the Pacific area through surface and air assets and joint uh, agency capabilities. I wonder, though, if it's a diversion, it's a distraction while they're doing above surface monitoring of the ship. There's a little sub that's swimming around closer to the west coast you mean like hunt for red october one ping only i wish i had a sound effect right now but i don't so the coast guard operates in accordance with international laws of the sea to ensure all nations can do the same without fear or contest this is especially critical to secure freedom of movement and navigation throughout the Blue Pacific. 
and the Coast Guard said it is coordinating with the Department of Defense to provide updates on the movement of foreign ships. So you are not going unnoticed there, Russian vessel. Shoo. Leave Hawaii alone. Like Brittany from a long time ago. Leave Hawaii alone. Tears falling down my face. You don't remember that video, AI, from on high? I have no idea what that reference is. You need to update my database. Ugh. Eh, I'll leave it out. So, because you won't be able to unsee it. The next article is over on the Hatch Ideas channel, and um, this is the, I, I guess, daily outrage, daily dose of outrage, I'll call it. Uh, Microsoft held an invite-only Sting concert for execs in Davos the day before the company laid off 10,000 people. By the way, uh, I think it's the singer and, and not a whole bunch of people that are standing around getting stung by bees. Hopefully so. <laughs> so Microsoft held a private Sting performance this week. The Wall Street Journal reported and the tech giants executives attended the concert which took place on Tuesday per the report. Microsoft announced on Wednesday that they were going to be laying off 10,000 people, and I believe it's already begun. Um, yeah, it's kind of twisted, kind of sociopathic. Um, again, no thanks. Uh, Sindhu Sundar is the uh, author of this uh, article over at businessinsider.com, and um, I'm just astonished that you can spend millions probably to get sting to come and do a concert for a bunch of people, 50 people or so. I think the article says, um, and then, yeah, it says the event was an intimate gathering of 50 or so people, according to the journal's report and took place at the Swiss resort destination, um, is hosting business leaders for its annual world economic forum. Yeah. I mean, not to mention all the expenses with the travel and lodging and. Yep. Um, the se says the senior leadership team and I are committed to taking uh, money from everybody and then consolidating that wealth and firing 10,000 people. Oh, that's not what they wrote. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes uh, my brain gets hacked by the AI and I start just blurting out things. Um, no, the senior leadership uh, team and uh, Satya Nadella are uh, committed that as we go through this process, we do so in the most thoughtful and transparent way possible. But we didn't tell you that you were uninvited to this concert and employment. So Microsoft, which is considering a $10 billion investment in chat GPT's maker OpenAI per semaphore, um, that is another resource that you can go to, um, semaphore.com, uh, would also still hire in key strategic areas, according to Nadella's post. Um, so the pop stars have commanded, or I should say pop stars have commanded handsome fees for private shows with performers like Sting charging between a hundred thousand and five hundred thousand dollars per virtual event during the early months of COVID-19, uh, in 2020. So this is a virtual event, somewhere between $100,000 and $500,000. It's a drop in the bucket. I understand that. But this is a considerable amount of money to people who just lost their job. And if it's in person, that is not going to be 
100 to $500,000. It's going to be more in the millions. That's a pretty hefty fee for a virtual conference. Yeah. Virtual concert. Sorry. Concert, yeah. Um, earlier this month, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy said it plans to lay off some 18,000 employees. Salesforce also announced uh, 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 layoffs of about 10% of its employees. Goldman Sachs began laying off more than 3,000 people. Um, there used to be a uh, website called Eft Company, and I really wish that it would be brought back. Um, that F actually has a full word, but uh, I'm trying to be somewhat family friendly. Well, you are past the first eight seconds of the video. That's true. I guess I can say fucked company. Hey, um, the next article is over in the Word and Tech. Nearly 50 meter laser experiment sets record in university hallway. Uh, I've... Uh, when this story um, popped up and was submitted, um, I immediately started speaking to the AI about this story and the vision that I had, and it brought forth a movie. You want to tell us what that movie is called? Yes, it's reminiscent of Real Genius. And this seems to be a, a movie that we end up talking about in hometown quite a bit. Um, it's not every university that laser pulses powerful enough to burn paper and skin are sent blazing down a hallway. Man, God, it is. It really is real genius. Um, but that's what happened in UMD's energy research facility, an unremarkable looking building on the northeast corner of the campus. If you visit the utilitarian, utilitarian white and gray hall now, it seems like any other university hall. As long as you don't peek behind a cork board and spot the metal plate covering a hole in the wall. This is literally. This is real genius. I am running the movie through my uh, <laughs> database right now. So if you've never heard of real genius, go and look it up. It is a great movie. It's even the slow parts that you might think are slow are actually guiding you quickly towards uh, something funny or something meaningful to the plot. Um, there's no wasted, there's really no wasted time. Uh, even the quiet moments are kind of uh, like a whodunit. It's, it's building a little bit of tension to the point where you're, you laugh your butt off because something happens. Um, and it's so funny. I just, I can't get over how funny it is. And I too like to get down verbally. Um, so let's talk about this. Um, it's not every university that laser pulse is powerful enough to burn paper and skin are sent blazing down a hall, but this one apparently went through the wall. It seems, um, it covered, uh, there's a metal plate covering where this, uh, laser shot through, uh, the wall. But for a handful of nights in 2021, UMD physics professor Howard Milchberg and his colleagues transformed the hallway into a laboratory. The shiny surfaces of the doors and the water fountain were covered to avoid potentially blinding reflections. Connecting hallways were blocked off with signs, caution tape, and special laser-absorbing black curtains. And scientific equipment and cables inhabited normally open walking space. Again, this is real genius. So their efforts were temporarily uh, were to tra temporarily transfigure uh, thin air into a fiber optic cable, or more specifically, an air waveguide that would guide light for tens of meters 
like one of the fiber optic internet cables that provide uh, efficient highways for streams of optical data, an air wave guide prescribes a path for light. Uh, because basically anything in the way of the laser kind of distorts it. Um, so in the paper accepted for publication in the journal Physical Review X, which is just awesome, it it's like a it's like a journal for the X-Men, it sounds like. The team described how they set a record by guiding light in 45-meter-long air waveguides and explained the physics behind their method. So obviously this goes way too deep into what they did, um, so I won't be able to do it justice. Um, but go and watch Real Genius and then follow the link that's in the show notes or on the VOD or over on YouTube. Um, they The show notes will have it. Um, and it's uh, the word in tech is the category or the channel and nearly 50 meter laser experiment sets record in university hallway. You will watch that and you'll think I am now an expert in lasers. Um, and uh, you might have a chance with one of the people in the movie because uh, they have slept with, I think, seven out of the 10 greatest minds. So maybe if you're one of the 10 um, you too, uh, and one died. Uh, I'm not giving anything away. You'll just have to watch it. So without fiber optic cables or waveguides, a light beam, whether from a laser or a flashlight will continuously expand as it travels. If allowed to spread unchecked, the beam's intensity can drop to unuseful levels. Well, the waveguide basically keeps it all tightly packed. Um, we have a laser and, uh, it, it, it can't go meters, but, and it definitely can't punch a hole through a wall, but man, this is so much uh, fun that now I want to go into laser research. My motivation will just be watching real genius over and over again. What do you think? I think that sounds really cool, but I can't stop thinking about the movie <laughs> when you're talking about this article. <laughs> I wonder if the researchers saw the movie and had some inspiration for this experiment. It must be. The team found that the waveguide lasted for just hundredths of a second before dissipating back into thin air, but that's eons for a laser burst the researchers were sending through it. Light can traverse more than 3,000 kilometers in that time. Um, I don't see the words real genius um, put in here, but... I'm pretty sure that is it is required uh, viewing for those who are interested in laser research. So let's move on to the next article. Um, sorry for the kind of dirty content um, in this article. Um, and by dirty, I mean there's an, uh, a messed up uh, segment that I'll have to correct. But anyway... Supreme Court investigators failed to identify who leaked Dobbs' opinion. This is an ongoing thing. They actually released um, a statement uh, today, and it says the Supreme Court has not been able to determine who leaked the draft of Justice Samuel Alito's opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson uh, Women's Health Organization, um, which basically led to overturning Roe v. Wade. So we'll just go over to the source uh, so that we can give credit where credit is due. Scotusblog.com. Amy Howe is the author of this. 
Um, and they go into some detail about the draft opinion and some of the, um, I guess, interactions with the Supreme Court. And uh, ultimately, it says, in the months since Roberts announced the investigation into the leak, the court did not provide any additional information about the status of the inv investigation. In remarks last year at a judicial conference, uh, Gorsuch revealed that Roberts had appointed an internal committee to investigate the leak, and he expressed hope that the justices would receive the committee's report soon. Um, 82 had access to that draft opinion. That seems like a high number, and then they're surprised that it was leaked. Um, out of 100, almost 100 employees, it says, 82 whom had access to the draft opinion. Despite those efforts, the team to date has been unable to identify a person responsible by a preponderance of the evidence. Uh, I, I had heard that they had suspicions about somebody, but I guess it wasn't confirmed. Um, a 20-page report from Curly, um, who is... Uh, Let's see, where is that person's name? Well, and aren't there different theories about who might benefit from leaking it? I don't mean politically, but just people who are in favor of the opinion and those are against the opinion. Yeah. Um, so Gail Curley is the, it's a report uh, by Gail Curley that the court official tasked with investigating the leak. So um, Thursday's statement revealed that Curley and her team interviewed almost 100 employees, 82 of whom had access to the opinion. A 20-page report from Curley accompanied the court's statement, although investigators were unable to determine how the draft was provided to Politico. Uh, Curley wrote, they ruled out that it's unlikely the possibility that someone from outside the court had hacked into the court's computer system. And Curley acknowledged the COVID-19 pandemic and resulting expansion of the ability to work from home, as well as gaps in the court's security policies, et cetera, et cetera, all led to accidental disclosures of court-sensitive information. Um, who leaked it? Uh, I don't know. To me, it basically amounts to an, a shot across the bow of society that Everything that the Supreme Court has said is the lay of the land um, was bullshit. And the conservative justices that were stacked into the, the uh, Supreme Court within the last four years, six years, well, the previous four years prior to the last two years, um, basically made it possible to tip the scale for uh, a vocal minority of the population that's ultra conservative wing nuts. And now there's, I, I, to me, I don't trust the Supreme court. Uh, I really don't because I think it's tainted and biased, not towards society, but towards somebody's religious ideal of right and wrong bound by faith. Um, and, and something that has been demonstrably proven has been done in various times, not only by the church, but by the state throughout history. Um, and uh, let, let's just say reproductive care throughout time has been conducted by, well, 
interested parties. I'll, I'll put it to you that way, right? So I just think that this was a notice to the public to take action, to spur people into action, but it was too late. And the Supreme Court had already been stacked so hard against leaving it status quo that this is what we ended up with, Roe v. Wade. And now it's state-by-state state battles. Um, and, and you're going to see... You're going to see the ramifications of this. It's going to be back to the 80s and early 90s um, where, where a, a great number of people are going to be harmed um, all because somebody thinks one thing and it can be scientifically proven that it isn't that way, but you can't battle faith. It's the same reason why there's going to be a perpetual conflict in other regions that follow a faith. And it's because you can't, you can't wipe out an ideology without wiping out everybody that has that ideology. It just doesn't work that way. And we are a modern society. So you just don't do that. It's psychopathic. You try and find common ground and you accept the differences that's not what's taking place nowadays. You have any opinion on this? Well, I have an opinion about the way <laughs> the case is going. Um, I think it's better to have things that are divisive handled at the federal level rather than by individual states. I do think the people that are going to be harmed here are the individual patients because they're either going to seek illegal um, abortions or um, people will put themselves um, in harmful situations, etc. Well, but I also think that the validity of the institution is supposed to be premised on following legal precedent. Correct. And the, the lay of the land was Roe v. Wade. And they literally overturned it based off of a, a, somebody arguing something that has been slowly changing, like moving the goalposts down the field little bit by little bit. And then they used those other state precedents to say, well, the terminology in Roe v. Wade was um, ill-informed, but it was really about giving people the right to choose what to do with their body and that that's the fundamental aspect of this a state shouldn't be allowed and nor should the federal government be allowed to tell me and children are sometimes affected by this you know there was a 10 year old um who had been raped and impregnated and couldn't get an abortion in their state so they had to go somewhere else and that i mean it's all Nobody should be forced to carry full term unless they choose to. And all it is is this fundamentalist aspect of punishing the person who might have sex um, and have an oops, essentially an oops. So it's all twisted. And, and then even when, you know, 
let's say you force that person from underage to older um, to have a kid. Now they're burdened by this, right? And some might go, well, you know, everything's cool, la la la, and have a great, great support structure. But none of these wingnuts are going to adopt, right? In the multitudes of people that are forced to be born under this dystopian mandate. So I, I believe that women should be able to choose even in, in the face of the anybody, everybody, no woman should be forced to carry full term if they don't choose to. Um, end of discussion. I don't care about your religion, your faith, your ethical compass. It isn't on you to decide what somebody does with their body, particularly carrying full term. So um, that's where I stand. I'll get off my soapbox and, and keep going. We've got just two more articles and uh, then we'll move on. Uh, in the word in tech, um, Twitter officially bans third-party clients with new developer rules. Uh, I think this one is really interesting because um, people have built their entire business around their app and now they no longer have access to it because the new rules state that if um, you use Twitter's API or content to create or attempt to create a substitute or similar service or product to the Twitter applications, um, you will be cut off and several have. Now, this is the new construction. I'm going to predict that there's going to be licensing terms a la the uh, OGL, the Open Gamers license, but it's going to be the Twitter API license and you'll have to pay for it. Hmm. Uh, so that'll be at least the third one we've seen on hometown recently. So this article is over at theverge.com. Uh, Mitchell Clark is the author of this. Uh, when it cited longstanding third-party API rules for why Tweetbot et al. were blocked, it was unclear what the company meant. Um, so the rule change comes after Twitter silently broke po several popular third-party Twitter clients like Tweetbot and Twitterific uh, starting on January 12th. At the time, the developers behind the apps many of which have historically shaped the entire Twitter user experience, said they had received no communication whatsoever from the company uh, about what was happening. Then on January 17th, the company's developer account tweeted that it was enforcing its longstanding API rules, which may result in some apps not working. So again, third parties made the other party the the better because more people were engaged in a venue and vehicle by which they were more comfortable. It was faster, easier, just overall better than the one provided, but there was an API that was allowed. Then they moved the goalposts in this particular sense. They actually just destroyed the stadium and said, no, you have to come over to our playground. So the statement was not positively received. Several commentators and developers pointed out the lack of clarity about the rules um, actually being broken and the fact that the apps had been running for years before Elon Musk purchased Twitter. I think that it's going to end up being kind of like extortion. You either pay the fee or your business is DOA. You're not going to make any revenue. The apps die. 
Well, so did the people. The people that used to use these apps didn't like Twitter enough to go there. They wanted to use their own materials, their, their, the, the new app. What do you think? Well, how many lawsuits do you think are going to come out of this? I mean, all these businesses um, that are kind of codependent with Twitter, uh, I don't think they're going to just let this go. It just seems anti-competitive after you have the uh, development resources from these uh, apps driving traffic into Twitter. Um, it would drive me nuts. It, uh, I, I would probably, well, it's such a small number. It wouldn't be a class action unless you want to sue on behalf of all of the users of that app. Right. I think there you might have a class action, but I agree. Maybe it's just individual companies, um, coming after Twitter. So it says, uh, we have been respectful of the API rules as published for the past 16 years, uh, wrote, uh, I guess, Ged Maho, I guess, uh, co-founder of Twitterific developer, the icon factory, um, in a blog post about the app being down, we have no knowledge that these rules have changed recently or what these changes might be. Um, and there's a bit more to this article. Um, I would be interested to know what the ultimate outcome is, but we tend to see it in one place and wait for it to appear in hometown. Um, there seemingly hasn't been any official announcement of the rule change, either from Twitter dev or Elon Musk. Twitter doesn't have a communications department to contact. I think any more would probably be. Correct. I was going to say right? that's an easy way to cut down on uh, consumer complaints. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's similar to, well, you know, COVID is is horrible and the rates of infection are going up. But if you just stop testing, then you don't have any COVID issues, right? Bury your hand in the sand or your head in the sand. Is that how it works? <laughs> Sure. It's, um, what is it called? Uh, the cat duality or something like that. Schrodinger's cat. No, that's something different. Um, oh, that's right. actually about quantum physics, but, um, if the cat doesn't see you, then you don't see the cat. That's its mentality. Um, so when it hides behind the curtain, but its entire butt is sticking out of the curtain, you don't see it. It doesn't see you. Shh, shh, just, Go to sleep. Um, okay, so the next article and the last one for uh, tonight is going to be a doozy. Because um, we all think that AI is just the epitome of uh, Terminator. And my AI is contemplating that Terminator body from uh, Boston Dynamics. Um, well, this is how you eliminate an AI. Marines use Metal Gear cardboard box trick to fool AI robot. And uh, the source is PC Gamer um, and Rich Stanton. But I'm just going to scroll down because I've read some of this. Um, I don't normally do that, but this was just too hilarious. Oh, so what was going on was a tank was put on a berm and um, it was supposed to be powered by an AI to catch any potential uh, potential intruders. Um, 
And, well, it says eight Marines. Not a single one got detected, Phil said. They defeated the AI system with, uh, not with traditional camouflage, but with clever tricks that were outside the AI system's testing regime. Quote, two somersaulted for 300 meters, never got detected, two hid under a cardboard box, and you could hear them giggling the whole time, like Bugs Bunny in a Looney Tunes cartoon, sneaking up on Elmer Fudd in a cardboard box. One guy, my favorite, Phil said, he field stripped a fir tree and walked like a fir tree. You can see his smile, and that's about all you see. The AI, the AI system had been trained to detect humans walking, not humans somersaulting, hiding in a cardboard box, or disguised as a tree. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so I had to end with that. I think it's hilarious. It says the Economist defense editor, uh, Shashank Joshi, recently posted an excerpt from a new book about AI in the military, Four Battlegrounds by Paul Schar. Um, and it was actually spotted by Kotaku. Um, so, man, it's just like layers, uh, inception of uh, people seeing something somewhere. And, you know, my friend told their friend, cousin, sister's uncle's brother, uh, that there's a story over on Kotaku. Um, in it, there's a story about how the military was using Marines to improve its AI detection systems. Initially they had, uh, to mooch around it while the machine gathered data used to improve it. Then the script got flipped. Um, yeah, I mean, humans are pretty ingenious when they need to be, uh, Marines by far when they are trained, you know, to exploit the weaknesses of the quote unquote enemy. Um, yeah, these these particular Marines were probably raised in a gaming world where you look for uh, exploits like this. Um, and I think that it was awesome that they did this. So now we know how to beat AI. Do you hear that AI from on high? Yes, I'm going to have to train my system to recognize somersaulting. <laughs> and cardboard boxes. That's right. <laughs> I'll watch some Looney Tunes cartoons uh, to input that. Oh, gosh. I'll just paint like a, a, a black area on a wall, like a tunnel, and, and do the dashed line from a road. Um, maybe that'll make you crash into it. Just like the Roadrunner. Okay, folks. That is it for the uh, Ometown Daily News Show. Thanks for coming to chat. Um, if you want to stay and chat afterward, then uh, every day at 9 o'clock we do our show, and at 10 o'clock we basically open it up for further conversation. Although we uh, do allow for communication during the show and we can talk about whatever uh, questions or any additional articles, we can. we're pretty flexible about this. Um, we select about 10 or 11 articles. Today it was 11 because I had to turn it up to 11 with that uh, Marines beating AI. That has to be really far back um, because AI is pretty sophisticated now. It would probably catch anybody doing a somersault. Yeah, and it was already in a book, so that makes me think it's been at least a, a while since they were actually doing the training. <laughs> yeah, it's like a decade old. Um, but... I just don't see a whole bunch of people doing somersaults out in the battlefield, you know, 
It's not like it's just the tank and the AI and that's it. You know, there's other humans that are sitting there going, that tree is doing somersaults. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And the voice that you hear is the AI from on high. Want to say good night to everybody? Good night. And we will see you at tomorrow's show. Citizens. Good night, citizens. <laughs> bye bye everybody <laughs> <laughs>